Hi friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work together through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you're here for the very first time, you've joined a community of thousands of people around the world who've made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. So you're very welcome. Why not click that subscribe button on wherever you get your podcasts from to make sure you don't miss a single episode. And if you are here for the very first time, hang on at the end and I'll update you on how you can access the episode notes page where there are lots of links to connect to other Bible teaching and courses that I do, as well as a transcript of each and every one of these podcasts. So with that said, we'll drop back into our main text And I'll see you at the end. Bye-bye for now. I've called today's episode, Please Do Not Worry. We're going to be looking at what it says in a few verses from the Sermon on the Mount, covering the verses from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 30. So, is it always wrong to worry? Can you worry about some things some of the time? Or, as someone who says they're a Christian, should you never worry about anything? What do those statements mean in the Bible when it says, don't worry? At what point does it become worry? Is all worry wrong? Or are there some types of worry that are wrong and some that are okay? And if so, what types of worrying is wrong? And at what point do we cross if you like that worry line and it becomes something that God says we shouldn't do to answer that question I think we have to look at what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6 as I really do believe it can clarify a few things for us now in order to explain this passage it's particularly helpful to remind ourselves the context of which it is written Remember, it's sitting here right in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount that we've been working through together for some weeks. And just prior to this, we saw in the last episode, in fact, that Jesus has said some things about money. For example, in verse 20, he said, Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, having already just told us not to try and hoard it on earth. Also, just prior to here and him warning us about not worrying, he has told us that no one can serve two masters because you will end up serving one and rejecting the other. You cannot serve God and money, he's just said. So very clearly, the context running up to this comment on worrying is further developing what he said about money. What Jesus has been teaching up to this point is that we should be trusting the Lord and walking in faith and serving him. He talks about what amounts to having a point of direction in your active devotion and that it should be towards the Lord. Therefore, if we're doing that in that way, in that sense, we ought not to be serving money. We ought to be laying up treasure in heaven. So that's the context But what he says next here in verse 25, uh, well, we need to notice that it's plugged in to what he's just said in the previous verses. And the opening word, therefore, gives that away that this is definitely linked to what he said before. Verse 25 says, therefore, I say to you, 
do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Very simply, Jesus is saying in this verse that using your money for the Lord, the very act of giving in any way to the Lord's work, should not cause you any anxiety about having your other basic needs met. For if you're a slave to God, remember he said a few verses ago that if you're a slave you can't serve two masters. If the Lord is your master and you are devoted to him, if you're trusting in him, which he is describing using the metaphor of laying up treasure in heaven, then he's saying you don't have to worry about your life from a material point of view. So the first point Jesus is making in this section, he's saying don't worry, and he's presenting it clearly as a counterpoint to the idea of trusting in God. As a matter of fact, it's very clear that the main point he's making in this passage overall has to do with faith. If we glance ahead to verse 30 in a moment, he closes this passage we're looking at today by scolding the people who he thinks are needlessly worrying by saying, O oh, you of little faith. So the negative is stated here in verse 25 about worrying, and the counterpoint to that is faith, and he will talk about that in the verses that follow later on. So don't worry, he says. Other side of it is, trust God, have faith. Now, I think we need to pause here for a second while I point out a few things. This passage assumes that you are working and that you have a role or a job or you have a purpose in your everyday life and that part of that purpose is serving the Lord. There is an assumption here, an underlying assumption, in other places in the New Testament, that if you don't work, you won't eat. So this has nothing to do with what some people might wish to pull out of it and say, you know what, I'm just going to relax. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to trust God and I'm going to expect the situation and trust that God's going to give me, is going to feed me. That's not the point. The point, in fact, is the opposite of that. It is assuming that you are doing things, particularly that you are doing things for the Lord, that that's part of your expression of everyday life, and you're not just sitting around doing nothing. Or also that you're, on the other hand, not spending all your time accumulating worldly wealth, so much so that you don't have any time left over to serve the Lord. Jesus is simply saying that God promises to take care of your needs. So you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry to the point where you don't have to devote 100% of your time to making a living. That you should be investing some of your time to the Lord's work and by doing that you shouldn't worry about the other thing. That's the main point of this passage. Someone pointed out that Jesus is teaching here a lesson about planning how we live our lives, our work lives, and about trusting in him all the time. As a matter of fact, in the background of the time that Jesus was doing this teaching, one of the great rabbis who was around before Christ, he taught that a person ought to meet life with a combination of what he called prudence and serenity. Now, interestingly, that rabbinic school taught that every man should teach his son a trade, which was seen as a necessary step for the prudent handling of life. Then having established that you are financially independent, you then seek the kingdom of God both in your work and beyond your work. 
As a matter of fact, some of the rabbis said, he who has a loaf of bread in his basket today and who asks what shall I eat tomorrow is a person of little faith. So that's the background to what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, but he's assuming that you are working for yourself also, that you are meeting the needs of your loved ones as well as coming before the Lord and laying up treasure in heaven for him. And if you're doing that, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Seek the Lord today and tomorrow will take care of itself. In the latter part of this verse 25, he says, life is more than just food and clothing. So clearly he's teaching that we should trust the Lord first in all things. In other words, just put the Lord first because the overall context tells us that worrying about your own personal provision will actually prevent you from taking the step of laying up treasure in heaven as well. If you focus just on your personal needs, that imbalance will lead to you becoming overly concerned with trying to mitigate against every possible circumstance. Overthinking, some would call it today, when what we ought to be doing in a situation like that is just trusting the Lord. There are some things that we should be concerned about, of course. As a matter of fact, The word that's translated here is used elsewhere in the Bible about such things that we actually should be concerned about, that we should, in a sense, worry about. And we'll look at those later when we arrive at those in context. But that's not the issue here. You see, when you are over-anxious about making a living and just thinking about storing up treasure on earth, it can spiral out of control so much so that you aren't able to trust that God will take care of you. And then you've crossed that line into this ungodly type of worry. So the clear point of the passage is, don't worry, trust the Lord instead. And then what follows are a couple of reasons why we shouldn't worry. Why Jesus says you should trust the Lord and not worry about your own personal provision particularly. The first reason he gives us is in verse 25. And he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, or what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So the first argument he makes is that God is going to take care of you. God is going to provide for you. And his argument is, well, look at what God already does in nature. He takes care of the birds. He feeds them. He even clothes the flowers, the lilies of the field. Saying why even Solomon in all his glory could not match the beauty of the lily. So if God takes care of the birds and the bees and the flowers, won't he be able to take care of you? Now again let me say, he's not assuming that you're going to quit your job and lie back and expect to God take care of everything in that way. He expects you to be contributing in some way to society and to your family and your own circumstances and the society in which you live. As a matter of fact, someone pointed out that no one works harder than the average sparrow to make a living. What is prohibited here by Jesus is this false type of worrying Not work. Birds work hard, but they don't worry. That's the issue. Continuing in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. 
Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? This whole thing about clothing is the same. It's the same idea as becoming overly concerned about food, about how you look, about what you wear, saying it's useless and it is in fact a mark of a lack of faith. That's the point in verse 30 where he clearly says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, he will he not also clothe you? One commentator put it like this, Worry is essentially distrust of God, and such distrust can be understandable in an unbeliever, someone who believes in a capricious, unpredictable turn of fate, but it should be beyond the comprehension for those of us who have learned to call God by the name of Father. End of quote. Someone also once wrote, No fox ever fretted because he only had one hole to hide in. No squirrel ever died over anxiety that he had not laid up enough nuts for winter. And no dog ever lost sleep over the fact he didn't have enough bones set aside for his declining years. Jesus is saying here that God will take care of us. And if he takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the ground, surely he'll take care of you and me. Because he is our father and we are his children and we are much more valuable than those things to him. My favourite example of this I heard well many years ago. When I first became a Christian, there was a Bible teacher who released tapes that were called Radio Bible Class. The original recordings were brought over from the US and they were brought into the UK and duplicated en masse in a small town called Carnforth in Lancashire, not actually far from where I live today. The name of the man who, for the most part, did those Radio Bible class teachings and the cassettes was a man named, it was either Mike or Matt Tahan. I can't quite remember which. He was apparently a medical doctor who turned a preacher and a Bible teacher. Now, during the late 1980s and early 1990s, I cut my tape on those tapes, so to speak. I was able to borrow those tapes from the library of a church I attended at the time, a church called Arnstall Baptist Church. You see, at that time, my job involved me travelling a lot in my car, and I was able to listen to an average of three or four hours on Bible teaching every day in the car on those tapes. Now, Dehan is now with the Lord. And I think he's been with the Lord for quite a while. But he once said something in a passage that I think best illustrates this. I think it's one of the best things I've ever heard on the fact of the way God desires to take care of us, to take care of his own. When I listened to the I actually pulled over and made some notes on pen and paper so I wouldn't forget it. I'm going to quote it as best as I can remember and as I recorded. This is what he said. On a hot day, there's nothing better than a glass of cold water. You can drop a couple of ice cubes in the grass, but have you ever noticed that they don't sink? Instead, they float on the top. Have you ever thought about how strange it is that ice floats? You see, it should sink. It's the law of thermodynamics. That cold water is more dense than warm water, so cold water should and does circulate down in most circumstances, causing the warm water to rise up. And that physical law is utilised in all sorts of engineering environments. For instance, 
When the air above a pond is below freezing and the water in the pond is say 10 degrees below freezing, the cold air will cool the surface of the water and cause it to sink, just as you would expect it to do. However, when the water temperature reaches a certain point, just a few degrees above freezing, something new happens. It begins to expand and it turns into this thing we called ice. So although it's colder than the water and it should drop to the bottom, because it has now lost density, it floats. Now imagine for a minute what would happen if that were not the case. You see then the ice would form on the bottom and work its way upwards until the pond or the lake would become entirely frozen. And as a result of that, all life in water would perish. Our great God, he said, has furnished protection for the fish in the lake and the fish in the sea by placing in nature this exceptional reversal of the general law that heat rises and cold descends. Yes, God thought of the fish when he created the law of thermodynamics. End of quote. So if you see that God can take care of the birds of the air and the, the flowers of the field and the fish of the seas, he is capable of taking care of you and me. The point is, don't worry, Jesus is saying. Trust God, and the first reason is because God will protect us. God has set place everything in order to protect us, because God knows how to do that. Now, that truth spills over into a second answer, our second reason why we should not worry and trust God. And we'll just pick it up and close off what we're saying today by looking at that in verse 31. Therefore, he says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? All these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows what you need and what you have need of. Mark that in your mind. Highlight it in your Bible if you have one. Matthew 6.31 The second reason not to worry about anything is because God already knows everything. He protects the flowers. He protects the bees. And as Dehan would add, he set up the system to protect the fish. So he's certainly capable of taking care of us. So secondly, God knows what we need already before we ourselves even know it. He talks about the fact that we shouldn't be like the Gentiles. Now Gentiles here is being used as a figure of speech just to say the people that don't know God. And he's saying that these people are materialistic because they only know about temporal worldly things. So these are the people by nature who are bound to worry about food, bound to worry about clothing, rather than consider the eternal spiritual things. They're only seeking material things. They're only seeking material answers rather than spiritual things. And what Jesus is saying here is you don't need to worry because God already knows about this and he knows what you need. I read an article many years ago by a man who worked in the construction industry and he was unpacking this passage a bit, this passage, the Sermon on the Mount, and he called the Sermon on the Mount the Solid Rock Construction Company because he said we all should build our life upon this foundation, upon this rock. Now he also tells a story which was a beautiful illustration of what I think Jesus is teaching here in, these, in this verse. He talked about the fact that when his daughter was a little girl, a little baby girl, she would often wake up and cry in the middle of the night. 
So he would get up and go and see her and her mother would go downstairs to prepare something else. And he would go in to see her and he would shuffle sleepily into her room and he would say, Hi, sweetie, what's wrong? What do you want? And she would sometimes say, I want my teddy bear. So he would look and there was a large collection of teddy bears and he would choose one and hope it was the right one and he would hand it to her and she would take it and sometimes she would cuddle it but sometimes she would also just throw it on the floor. So he would try again. Or sometimes she would say, no, I don't want my teddy, I want my dolly. So again, he would say, tell daddy which dolly you want. And she would just say, I want my dolly. So he would go looking for a dolly and he would return to her bedside and place it gently beside her and hope that it was the right one. And she would usually hold it for a few minutes and then start crying again. Now, during this time, her mother would have also got up and gone down into the kitchen and warmed a bottle and she would come and put it in the mouth and the little baby daughter would begin to suck on it and would gently go back to sleep. Then he makes his point. The point is this, is that all along, all she wanted was to be comforted. She was hungry and she wanted to experience comfort, but she was too young, too immature to know how to ask for what would satisfy her. I'm convinced, he said, that she thought she wanted a teddy bear, she thought she wanted a dolly, but what she really needed was a parent who knew what she really needed and gave it to her. God knows what we need before we can even ask. Maybe that's why sometimes we don't get what we think we should get, or we get things that we think we want and then we toss them aside. You see, the whole point of this teaching by Jesus is to say, don't worry. Trust the Lord because he will take care of you and he already knows what you need. And I do hope you find that helpful today. Okay, that closes off those couple of verses for us today. I do hope you find them helpful. As I said, if you're here for the first time, thank you for joining this wonderful community of thousands, tens of thousands of people, in fact, who've made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. And I know we're all benefiting from doing that together. I'm learning so much in preparing this, and I trust that you are too. As I've said, if you are here for the first time, let me just point out to you that there are other ways and other resources that are available for you to access, totally free of charge, copyright free. If you're not seeing an episode note page within the podcast provider, the place that you get your podcast from, then why not take a look at thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com where there you'll find links to all the areas of my ministry, the YouTube channel, Facebook page, even my Patreon and my LinkedIn page. Those are the places I tend to put more formal, structured, discipleship type courses. But they're all still there, free at point of access, freely available for you to use. Also, you'll find in there a link to a transcript of each and every one of these podcasts. Again, happy for you to use them in whatever way you want, for your own personal study time, or into the preparation of studies for others. Please 
take it, use it with my blessing. But that's it for today. Thank you again so much for joining me. It's such an encouragement to me to know that this podcast is now being listened to in 154 different countries worldwide. Isn't that amazing? Over 100, some days 160, 170,000 people have downloaded an episode. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for being part of this amazing journey. And I do trust that you are benefiting from it. And because of that, I'll see you back here again tomorrow. Well, it's tomorrow for me. It's whatever day you get that little ping to tell you that there's a new episode. So with that in mind, I'll just say bye-bye for now. And I'll see you right back here soon on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye now.